Nissan, the hills are alive and they're With calling. The sound of music. Yeah, they're calling episode. you. Yeah, they're calling me, but you know, I'm not a lonely goat herd, so I'm just not I don't I'm not sure that I'm the one that should be answering. Squad, you're here with another episode of Hell Yeah with me, Misan, and my buddy Nana. Hi guys. Hi. Hi. Did you miss us? Rom Squad. Welcome to the Rom Pod, Rom Squad. Woo! Rom Pod. Oh my God, Nana, you keep coming up with the best. <laughs> I know. Like, I know. Terms of art for this podcast. <laughs> it's the Rom Pod. Um, the Rom yeah, Pod. I, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, and I mean, you should have been able to tell because, you know, this is an iconic movie we're going to review today or discuss today, but if you weren't able to, um, we are talking about the sound of mother bleeping music. I felt like weird saying the (laughs) F word with it, so I I had to bleep I see, because you started it, but then you bleeped yourself. (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't. I just couldn't. (laughs) The movie is PG for a reason. I know. PG for a reason. (laughs) I just couldn't do it. Um, But yeah, we're talking about the sound of music today. Well, so we're really excited to talk about it today. We're very excited. Like, it is, I mean, I'll talk about this more in our At First Sight section, but it is Honestly, one of my favorite movies of all time. Great. Me too. Iconic. You have, like, it's something that I think every, like, even if you hate musicals, I think you can find something to enjoy in The Sound of Music. Uh, but yeah, so we're excited to talk about it with you guys today. But first, we got to do our usual housekeeping. So yeah, let's get to it. Okay. So just a little background. You are talking with Nana and Misan on Hyal Yeah. Um, it's pronounced Hial. I mean, whatever. Close enough. But you can pronounce it how you want to. But the point is that it has the letters H-E-A in it because H-E-A is Rom speak for happily ever after. And that's just like where you're always trying to get with a good like romance novel or good romance movie. Uh, we all just want the happily ever after. Don't like kind of screw us over with like let's talk about the human condition so like really love is like not the thing that we're seeking we need like self-fulfillment no we need two people to get together at the end that's the happily ever after exactly (laughs) um but yeah we created this podcast because we both just found a lot of solace and joy and um, romance, the romance genre, whether it's romance novels or romance movies or romance-centered TV shows. And we just got together one day and we're like, well, why don't we do a podcast about it? Like, really, truly embrace the genre, right? Yeah. And so now here we are. Um, oh, well, you should have told them also, Nana, that you and I, like, you love saying this, so I will say this. We're two yeah. lady lawyers. Um, yeah. Who, Badass lady uh, lawyers. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Badass lady lawyers. I just, there has to be another like L word for badass so it can keep the alliteration going. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, so Nana and I are two lawyers that have just been obsessed with rom, um, romantic related content. Um, We met in college and became friends many, many years ago. Um, And this is another sort of like extension of our friendship. Uh, We were talking about it with each other. And so we'd like to talk about it with you. Okay. And yeah, sorry. I know like, I'm long-winded, but I'm actually going to say one more thing about this because I just thought about it this weekend, Nissan. I mean, I think you can kind of relate to this. So I was talking to my uh, former law school roommate who, like, actually really listens to the show, and I don't know how it came up, but we were talking about Entourage and Mad Men, and I used to, like, love both of those shows, and I realized Mm. there was, like, a time in my life for a very long time where I, like, very openly embraced, like, this, like, hyper-masculine aesthetic, you know, like, that GQ. Mm. Like, Mm. it's so embarrassing. Like, I had, like, a Rat Pack poster in my college dorm. Like, this is how bad it got. (laughs) I do not remember you having that I did have a Rat Pack poster. It was great. Wait, was it freshman year? You had No, no, no. It must have been. No, I think it was, like, junior or senior. It was later. But I I just felt like it used to be, like, you know, like, there was a time in my life and I especially from having like brothers and stuff where I thought like the coolest way to be like a cool girl was to and, like embrace like like I loved Entourage I loved that bullshit mm, and I, I think like that Entourage. there's something about this podcast that like is like actually you know what like I feel like I've like kind of put the f- really feminized stuff to the side because it's not respected as much and I always wanted to be mm. a cool girl so guys would like like me and want to pay attention yeah. to me but, like, yeah. now as I get older and, like, I don't really care how much men like me or they want to pay attention to me, I just, like, want to embrace, like, really girly stuff, you know? And I think yes, this is the opportunity yes. to do that. So that's my that's little right. – it's a political act in some ways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sorry. This is, this is another part of the revolution honestly yeah it is so that's it that's the call to action women we're gonna listen to Celine Dion and we're gonna watch rom-coms and just like I don't know what other stereotypical things eat chocolate ice cream I don't even know karaoke I'm not even sure I feel like we should have a t-shirt about this like I feel like there's like there are (laughs) t-shirt ideas that are coming to me as I as we continue to to have this podcast but yeah it's true I I do I do think there was a time or it does feel like pop culture sort of like rejects and again I guess not in our long-winded but rejects like things that are like overly feminized or feel like you know like if like girls really like them there must be something wrong about it not like exactly something that's not inherently valuable or necessarily prestigious it's sort of the same sort of attitude you see with teenage girls and what they love with like boy bands um and somehow Mm -hmm. it's like oh like these girls are just like having crushes on you know like One Direction and you know um BTS and all that sort of stuff and people sort of the, the first reaction to sort of like be like oh well that means it's not um serious or like meaty or prestigious but that's like um ah, really it's part of garden variety sexism and it's something that we yep. like ideally want to push it against you guys didn't think you would start this episode with listening to us like lecture about feminism but you're you're listening to a podcast with two feminists so that's sort of like just going to be part of mm-hmm. what you hear every day so just suck it up guys <laughs> this is what feminism looks like y'all <laughs> just remember <laughs> well anyway 
Anyway, so now that we've told you a lot about who we are, I guess we'll go to this next segment we have called. And again, Nada came up with this because she's very creative. Rom news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, rom news. So, um, I sent Nada an article, uh, like a maybe like a week or so ago, it was in the New York Times, um, and it was talking about Jane Austen, who, as you guys know, we adore a lot at this mm-hmm. podcast. Um, and so there's this museum set in an English, that's um, established in an English village where Jane Austen lived for like a, like sort of the later years of her life. Um, and like most museums in the wake of, you know, uh, the George Floyd protests last summer have started to really take stock of the way they create and um, put in context racist past and racist histories and how they sort of contextualize that in the context of um, the museums and sort of the work that their museums are dedicated to. So the people over at Jane Austen House decided that they wanted to talk a little bit more uh, specifically about Jane Austen's family and their ties to the slave trade. Uh, And for people who don't know, uh, we found out that Jane Austen's father, who was a reverend, was a trustee of a sugar plantation in Antigua. Um, And it's interesting. So that would mean that Jane Austen's family is sort of like fairly aware of like what would go into creating and building like wealth through the sugar trade uh, for the Caribbean. And that and those plantations obviously used uh, slaves to, you know, mine and create and build wealth for for their families. And so the museum said that they wanted to, you know, sort of talk about that a little bit more, explore it. And there was a huge uproar, uproar rather, in response to that because people said, well, this is Jane Austen. We don't need to sort of have this like messy, you know, historical bit added to the work that she does. Like, do we want to think about slavery when we're reading Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility um, or Mansfield Park? And so there was a lot of pushback from that, from, you know, sort of like the usual suspects, but also other, you know, um, hardcore Jainites, as they call themselves. And I think it's an interesting question, Nana. Like, we know and understand uh, historical figures and books that we love in a particular context. And does, is, does it matter? Is it important for us to make sure that we give the full story of sort of like the, the time period that they lived in and how that might have affected what they write and how they think and approach things? I don't know. What do you think? Yes, let's move on because it's very simple. <laughs> That's it. It's yes. Done. Why are you wasting Second my fucking over. time with these questions? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, I I do think so. I think as you were talking, a couple things came to mind. I mean, the first is we take into account a historical context all the time with Jane Austen, particularly when it comes mm. to the marriage plot. You remember in our last mm. Jane Austen episode, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about the historical context. She was someone who was a satirist and talked about the society mm. she lived in. So you have to understand the, you know, sort of the immediate surroundings, right? And yeah. like, but when it comes to race, because people don't want to talk about it, all of a sudden, like, why are we talking about history? As if Jane Austen had existed in a vacuum this entire time, which is just not the case. Mm. Um, mm. The second is, I would probably bet my entire life savings that most of these people are white um because like (laughs) like they yeah yeah because the as a black woman who loves like especially romance and things and i like 
grown up in the U.S. and we've talked about like sort of the historical legacies of having parents who grew up in a colonial like country or mm. post-colonial country, I consume things all the time that I have to sort of contend with the historical context, right? Like you go through the world and you consume things knowing that they were written by people who either didn't think of you as all, didn't think of you as a person, or were actively tried to exclude you. And so that's like kind of the double consciousness thing, right? And we're constantly mm. having to hold two ideas in our head. Like I have to watch, like I love old movies, but when there's like some kind of like step and fetch figure, I'm like, oh, God, yeah. You know, I constantly have to confront history as a black person. And so I think it's just people who are very used to not having to do that difficult exercise, all of a sudden having to do that with someone who's beloved. But like that is yeah. the general way I think I can't speak for all black people, but I think at least I have to cons when I consume things like I consume Jane Austen knowing that she, like, Regency era is hella problematic, right? <laughs> like, mm, what was those mm. people, what was their wealth built off of, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, like and like... so, you know, so it's like, it's kind of the same thing as being like, oh, we don't like athletes to talk about politics. I mean, they can talk about politics, except for when it's like politics we don't like, which are politics that yeah. involve race. Yeah. You know, it's always oh, that. It's always like, a silencing. Right, right about the racial yeah. dialogue. And sorry, I'm the last thing I will say is that even though Jane Austen doesn't explicitly talk about us uh, the slave trade, it it's kind of percolating in some of the things that she's written. Like Mansfield mm. Park, there's an allusion to like an, you know, ventures or enterprises of the family in the West Indies going under and I don't know, I don't remember if they explicitly say sugar plantations, but like, you know, that they're talking about people who were slavers or, you know, had, yeah. you know, had enslaved people. And so, you know, you got to look at like, this is, this was just in her world. And like, you have to look at what she says as much as like what she doesn't say. And it's like an interesting mm. question why she doesn't talk about these things in that way. You know, I think that could open a lot of interesting discussions. And so to just kind of shut it down, I think is really disingenuous. I think it shows a lack of intellectual curiosity about a woman you allegedly love so much. And mm. bye bye I reject your argument. <laughs> so that's... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so for the people complaining in the Daily Mail and in the Sun and the New York Post, and were interviewed for the New York Times article that I'm talking that we're talking about, Nana and I say bye bye, suck it up, Buttercup. History, suck history, it up, Buttercup. We're not going to decide that we detest Jane Austen just because we know that she has family members that were tied to the slave trade. Since everybody in that time period definitely was tied to the slave trade in one I mean at least of the wealthy people were tied to the slave trade in one way or another so yeah yeah well, that's been sorry another... sorry gonna say Go one ahead. more thing because uh, oh. this is like the stuff that pisses me out you have to understand like you can't sit and glamorize like oh, sorry it's just like capitalism right you can't sit and glamorize like the sort of the accoutrement of capitalism like the pretty houses mm. and the pretty dresses without Mm. understanding where that wealth comes from. I think this is why we have this fundamental sort of denial and in mm. like our like collective 
and not by ours, I mean white people's collective imagination, yeah. right? Like, this is why people yeah. have plantation weddings, because they don't realize plantations were essentially death camps, right? Like, like Scarlet was well, only Nana, able to wear that. The slaves were happy. <laughs> I don't, yeah. the slaves were like indentured servants. And like, yeah, I don't know why like, you would want to talk about the atrocities of slavery. I know. Knows the slaves are happy to be slaves. I yeah, mean, it's like, on. these are things that drive me crazy. Like, we can't glamorize all this like wealth, like and all these excesses of like, you know, sort of like Western society without acknowledging that it was built off of the back and blood of certain people. This is like Nana getting into her full grown, like critical race. I'm, not, I'm, I'm angry. Like, like, talk me down. Talk me down. Let's move on. Let's move on. Nana's like started wagging her finger. I feel like there's about to be a soapbox <laughs> that she's like going to find in her room and put and then step onto it. But we got it. We're going to bring it back. We're going to bring gonna it back. Okay. So we're going to bring it up. We're bringing it. So guys, that has been another uh, edition of Raw Muse. <laughs> Uh, who knows what else we're going to, what we'll talk about next time, who knows, but <laughs> let's talk about what we're excited to talk about in this episode, the sound of music. Uh, so the sound of music is one of the highest grossing films of all time. It came out in March, 1965. Um, it's also considered to be one of the most like iconic movies ever. Um, I mean, the American Film Institute um, and, and other, you know, institutes that are not America, but I'm American, so I'm talking about this one, um, like, always rates it highly, and the songs within it is one of the best, top, iconic mm-hmm. movies and songs ever, um, and we're really excited to talk about it today. I think it's something that has a rich history and love story, and the history we'll also talk about, uh, so yeah, let's dig in and get into it. Yay! The hills are alive. With the sound of music. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. All right. So, when did you, when was your first encounter with this, Nana? Girl, you said you wanted this to be a short episode, but my relationship <laughs> with with the sound of music I cannot it's like you know you know how like those African griots like can't just tell you what you need to hear from like that year they have to start at the beginning mm. you know that's yes. like what I, I have to yes. start at the very beginning because it's a very good oh, place God. to start <laughs> so, <laughs> so the sound of music for me um is just like a I don't even remember when I first saw it because it has always been in my consciousness. Um, so I could just mm. tell you very specific, per, like formative memories around it. The first mm. is that I have this auntie in Ghana, my dad's sister, who loves this movie. And I don't know who Aww. showed it to her, how it happened or whatever. But like we would go to like if I would spend a summer at her place. Like, especially because back in the day when I was a kid, there were like three channels in Ghana, right? And so they would yeah. just put that sound of music double or maybe it was like quadruple cassette in and we would just watch the shit out of it. It was like over and over again. It was like we'd watch that. We'd watch Charlie Chaplin. And those were like the two things we'd watch. And so. Wow. Yeah. And so like within my family, like my cousins on my dad's side. Like, we all know this movie very well because of this one aunt. Um, and so then as I got older, like, it was always on, like, Christmas. But then mm. we did, like, a choral performance of it in fourth grade. And so this is where, like, the... <laughs> yeah! 
we did a coral what? performance. What? That sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, I know I the music that. quite well because they had to perform it. <laughs> I wish I could see video of this performance. Yeah. I mean, they <laughs> never put me in the front because I was the only black kid, but I definitely did like a so long farewell, like <laughs> wave here and there. <laughs> I believe it. The wave you're doing right now feels like very theatrical. So I think you must have been like you must have been a hit. <laughs> yeah. And so as a child, it was like always on. I loved it. I knew the music from chorus. And then but I feel like there was like sound of music as a child and sound of music in adulthood. And I found it like I had a newfound mm. love for it because this same roommate who's our mutual friend, you know, freshman year. Yeah. Uh, we both, the same one that I loved, uh, like I watched Pride and Prejudice with all the time, we watched Sound of mm. Music all the time. And like, this was like a kind of thing where like we would come home really drunk and like, or depressed about what like happened out because we didn't meet the guy we liked or whatever. And then we'd be like, just put the Sound of Music in, girl. Let's just put it in. <laughs> We just watched this movie so much. And it was in my watching with her that I like also realized how sexy I thought the captain was. And we had. Oh my God, we're going to get into that. I know. And we had so much commentary. And this is the last thing I'll say about it that. So I went to. My brother and I were doing a cross country road trip in like 2013. And we stopped where she lived in Tulsa. And so we spent the night. Mm. And we like you know she showed us around a little and we're like we got to do this for old time's sake so we put in the sound of music and my brother joined us and he was (laughs) and he was like shocked he was like you guys should do like mystery science theater for the sound of music because you guys know every word you have a comment and an opinion on like literally everything that happens in this movie that's amazing I love that wow I don't have a I don't have a choral performance story for the sound of music, but I will say that, like you, Nana, I just, I just, I don't remember not knowing or being aware of the sound of music. I've seen it so many times since I was a child, um, from watching it in Nigeria, um, with friends there to all over the states. I wish I had been part of your watching it in college traditions. That's I know. A, that's a big miss. Yeah, that's I a big know. miss on freshman to like senior yeah. year me son. Like, wow. Well, wait, wait, what a fail there. <laughs> I will say that. So I lo- I loved it. Um, but I sort of put it aside. I just it just was something like, oh yeah, the sound of music. I remember when there was like um I think I can't remember if it was like NBC or ABC, they did like a live musical. Oh my time god. Like, Sorry. Networks were doing Sorry. live musicals and then I know, I know, I have thoughts about that. So there was that live musical, and I remember watching it and being like, oh, this does not capture the magic. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I appreciate the attempt. Um, but earlier this year, Christopher Plummer died. R.I.P. Yeah, yeah, R.I.P. Um, and the, I remember deciding that I wanted to watch the movie again, and I hadn't seen it in years. And at the time, I was, I think I was, like, talking, musing about it on Twitter, with some like mutuals that were in Nigeria and they're like, you know what, let's like watch it together this weekend and we'll like have live commentary. And so it was, I just, I think it just points to sort of the universality of the movie that like, we're like, okay, Sunday, no, Saturday afternoon, we're going to watch this. Like, and they, at, at the time they were like, I think we were like five hours behind. They're like, all right, you start watching it at two. We'll start it at eight and we'll watch the full hours. And then we like, 
were doing like Twitter threads about it and going back and forth like, oh yeah, I remember I thought, I think like, you know, Rolf is a little bitch or the Baroness or blah, blah, blah. And having like all this commentary. And, but we're doing this like hours away in two different countries. Um, yeah. And it was like me and like, five other women who I'd only met on Twitter. Like I'd never met any of these women in real life before, but it just, it was such an, it was such a great memory. And I'm watching, I was like, wow, this really is one of my favorite movies. I adore it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just think that, I think that speaks to like the, the power of the movie and how iconic it is for like women that have never met each other before decided they were like sad about sexy Chris Plummer dying and they wanted to watch this movie. And then we watched it and I was like, wow, what a great movie. Like, we have to do this again. And I don't know that there's any other movie I can think of that would have the same sort of, um, evoke the same sort of response and, like, have people be dedicated to do that. I, I can't think of any off the yeah. top of my head. But what? But the sound of music, for sure. Worth it. So good. Yeah. I know. Yeah, my aunt it. still sends me sound of music memes, like, on WhatsApp. <laughs> like, oh, my like, God. It's oh, my like, God. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, there's something powerful oh, there. Oh, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> no, like it's I th- and I think part of this episode we're going to try to figure out like what we think is the reason that the sound of music is so iconic cuz I don't know like, you know, I'm not sure people realize when they were like doing it and creating it and then releasing it in 1965 that like decades and decades later people would still be like obsessed with it to such a degree. Mm-hmm. Uh so there's yeah. something, you know, cool about that. Uh, but before we can get into why we think it's iconic, we should, we're going to do the plot. Guys, bear with me. I'm doing the plot. I know. Baby's week. doing plot and today. I baby's know. I know. Plot. Baby's like, baby's second plot summary, because my first one, I did have <laughs> done one before. But my second plot summary, and I don't know if you noticed, but I talk a lot. So let's see how it goes. All right. So let's dive in. The Sound of Music is about this woman, Maria, who is studying to become a nun at an abbey in Salzburg, Austria. And this is around like 1938 or so. And so the movie opens up and we see Maria and she is just the, it's the irrepressible, like charming and bullying Julie Andrews. And Mm, it's clear that Maria is like sort of... Yeah. Oh my God. Amazing. And with that like amazing haircut and just like her, just the perfect face. But it's clear when you see her that she's not the type of personality that is probably suited to becoming a nun. But she so desperately wants to be one, but she's like missing, you know, church uh, because she's busy spending time, you know, like gallivanting in the hills of, you know, Salzburg, which are beautiful. Um, And so the mother superior, the mother abbess is trying to figure out what to do with her. And she says, all right, well, maybe before we like accept her to take her vow to become a nun, we can send her off to be a governess. Uh, for this, like, uh, family, the Von Trapp family, uh, a widower and his seven children. <laughs> uh, yeah. So the widower Captain Von Trapp, Georg, Captain Von, uh, Georg Von Trapp, has been raising his kids, like, very strictly. Like, you see that he, like, calls them with whistles. They all dress alike. Uh, uh, I can't wait until we like, talk 16. about all of this. I know, I know. Like, like, I'm clenching my thighs together right now. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, so he's super rigid. Maria is not. Obviously, they're going to have a clash. So we see that's a lot of the movie um, where she's trying to figure out ways to make these children behave like children and not sort of like mini Georg von Trapps. 
Uh, so she, like, there's a fun scene where she, like, uh, decides she's going to create play clothes for them from the drapes in her in her room at the at the Von Trapp family home. And just to be clear, Von, the Von Trapp family seems to be quite wealthy. Their family home is, like, huge, and it's right by the water. So anyway, so she basically, like, helps create these kids into something that are, like, their actual children, not sort of these robots that take after their father. And there's a huge clash between her and... Um, Captain Von Trapp, just because of that. Meanwhile, enter uh, the Baroness, uh, this like wealthy woman who seems mm-hmm. like she's going to marry uh, the captain. And so it, there's just sort of like, there's this like love triangle uh, that starts forming with um, Maria, the captain, and the Baroness. And they sort of, then there's like push this push and pull because these kids love Maria, but the Baroness is something that is really more sort of suited to his um, very. Um, stern disciplinarian exterior so they have a little bit of that going on uh meanwhile keep in mind that this is austria during what nana will talk to you about later called the anschluss uh so nazi germany is creeping in there's a lot of sort of like angst about what does it mean to be austrian versus german and so there's a lot of um conflict between the von trapp family and the rest of the you know of of Austrians and their neighbors and people that are Nazis that are, you know, working and part of the uh, Hitler's regime. Uh, So there's a lot of that going on in the background. Uh, So uh, Maria and the captain eventually fall in love. The Baroness, you know, slinks off away um, with her fabulous clothes. (laughs) Slinks is the right word for sure. (laughs) Yeah, no, she, I mean, she slinks. She's like very, it's got sort of like feline sort of like air to her. So she slinks off. Uh, Maria and the captain get married Uh, Meanwhile, there's Uncle Max, who is a family friend who wants these lovely children to sing um, at this like amazing festival. He thinks he can make a lot of money out of them because part of what Maria does to get the kids to sort of just take a shine there, she teaches them to sing. Uh, Singing had been banned in their house because the captain wanted wanted everybody to not be frivolous. So she teaches them to sing. Well, also, wait, Uh, because his wife, his wife died and she was like, like, yes, his wife died. Yes. Yeah, to be fair, in fairness. And it's interesting, we don't know how long ago this wife died. Presumably, like, you know, it has to be at least five or six years, because the youngest, I think, is around five. Um, yeah. but, so there's a, there's this sort of this air of sadness with the captain that Maria's sort of able to chase away. Um, so they are set up to sing in this festival. Meanwhile, the Nazis really want the captain to be part, become a, a naval officer again, because I forgot to mention... Uh, Captain mm-hmm. Von Trapp is a retired naval officer. They want him to be a part of the, the Army of the Third Reich. Uh, and he is violently opposed to that because he wants to be Austrian. For what Adnan, I will tell you a little bit later about that sort of that conflict, what that means, um, and sort of how everyone's sort of getting pushed, this push-pull between the various identities. So the Nazis want the captain to, you know, and they're forcing him, basically saying that if you want you and your family to continue to live and survive, essentially. Uh, very, it's obliquely, but it's pr- fairly clear you're going to become a part of this empire and make it happen. Uh, the Von Trapp family, including the captain, does not want to do that. So we have this interesting scene where they perform at the festival, and then they're escaping um, right after the festival is over. The nuns help them. They escape through the hills, the Alps, the Swiss Alps, to make their way into Switzerland. Uh, and, you know, the hills that are alive that we saw in the beginning of the movies were how mm-hmm. they, like, walk off and are able to dodge the Nazis. And that is a very sort of jumbled but uh, 
you know, spoken summary of the sound of music. Let's give her a hand. She did the plot. Thanks, she guys. Did I did the plot, did and it. I can do it again next time. You yeah. Know, if you have, you know, opinions or grades, you know, send them over. Let me know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then just another really tiny subplot is that his old eldest daughter Liesel's sixteen, and she oh, falls yes. in love, and she's falling in love with this guy Rolf, who's like the telegram boy, who is just like, oh, uh, he's so simpering. He's like the worst. He's not very cute. I'm sorry. I just like bitch. didn't like him. He's a little Yeah. Um, and it turns out like, and you hear his like rumblings about like, he's a Nazi, basically. It hints at it. And mm-hmm. then he eventually becomes a full blown Nazi who is like mm-hmm. a little like on the lower end of the chain. But like, he's the one yeah. who like, as the Von Traps are escaping, he's like the one who catches them and Von you know, he's going to shoot them, allegedly. And Captain Von Trapp is kind of like, oh, Rolf, you'll never do that. You're like a boy. And Rolf is like quivering and he doesn't shoot him. And then Captain Von Trapp makes this huge mistake, which is like, come with us. Come with us. You'll love it. Like, this is you. And then Rolf is like, hell no. And he blows a whistle. Whistles mm-hmm. are important in this movie and alerts I the know. Nazi to their presence. But the nuns have, like, disabled the Nazi cars so that they can, like, buy them some getaway time. So all these different elements of the story come together in this one moment. Which is why the movie is two hours and 55 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's also, there's a lot of music. And there's an intermission in Entracht, which I love those old musicals when they do that. You know, where it's just, like, the screen says intermission and they're playing music. So you feel like you're at the theater. And then they have this with uh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like where you're writing, like uh, sitting in the theater, like a Broadway musical or something. Yeah, I love for it. Sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, that was very good. Um, and so, yeah, the, that's like I think there's just not much to the plot. Um, yeah. The general explit like just to get also just give a background of the movie. It was based off of a Broadway musical by Rodgers and Hammerstein. Um, It's the last Mm -hmm. one they ever did. I hope you are literate enough in musicals to know that Rodgers and Hammerstein were a big effing deal in terms of duo. They did South Pacific, Oklahoma, just a bunch of things. Um, And this is like the last one they did before Hammerstein died. The uh, Broadway musical is based off of, and I don't think we actually said this, it's a true story. So that like this woman, uh, Maria Von Trapp ended up she married the captain. They eventually made their way to Vermont, like in the, or someplace in the U.S., and they died there. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, you know, her, somehow they got the rights to her story and they made this. Um, so yeah, this is just like part of like you know the '50s and '60s, the stream of big budget Hollywood musicals that were made. I think this is like a higher level one, one because it's like yeah. oftentimes filled on location, and two, as we'll talk mm. about, I think the dialogue is good, the music is on point, it's amazing. Um, but as Misan will tell you, many film critics actually hated it, right? Yeah, they like so. It's so I find this so interesting. So like I said earlier, this was released um, March 1965, and hu- like a huge number of film critics were just not feeling it. Um, some of the quotes from the harsh reviews. One said, "The the, the sound of music is a sugar coated lie that people seem to want to eat." Um, we have been turned into emotional and aesthetic imbeciles when we hear ourselves humming the sickly (laughs) goody-goody songs. Icky sticky. This movie's for the five to seven set and their mommies. It's just like, okay, guys, first of all, very overwrought reactions to the musical. Maybe you're annoyed that you have to spend three hours. 
yeah, three hours watching it, but, like, icky, sticky, like, imbeciles, like, all that sort of stuff is, like, just calm down. So while, like, sort of, like, the vaunted film critics were not sort of impressed, it did seem, however, to get a lot of interest um, and, you know, viewing from just, like, everyday people. Much like with a lot of sort of film critics sometimes, and they're like, oh, this movie sucks. And people are like, well, no, we want to watch it. We like it. Uh, so it was a it was a roaring success. Yeah. And then eventually... Uh- won academy awards and it was like on afi's list like you said and you know yeah um, and it was an interesting love and like an interesting point just to make sorry about to cut you off nana that this yeah, movie okay. was in the theaters for four and a half years it's one of the wow first, like, its initial run. yeah from like 1965 march 1965 to like labor day 1969 um Damn. that's rarely ever i don't i don't this very rarely ever happened so that tells you how sort of popular and well received it was it was making a lot of money. Oh, okay. Well, okay. So we got the plot down. Now we're going to give you a little sense of the setting, um, you know, both like sort of physical and historical. So um, as Nissan said, this was set in Salzburg, which is like, how would you describe it, Nissan? Salzburg, Austria. Salzburg, Austria, it just seems like based on the opening scene and just all the like sort of the greenery and scenery sauce, just like beautiful, like hills, like lush, um, mm-hmm. sort of just like it feels like what you would think maybe paradise would look like a bit, like with like meadows <laughs> and like water and like greenery, everything just so like picturesque, very beautiful. Yeah. And like I said earlier, they filmed on location. So you get to see like all of the beautiful parts of the city. Yeah, and I'll just say a couple things about Salzburg. First, they apparently had this really dope Sound of Music tour. And so it's, like, been my dream to go. Because you can, like, go to all the... Yeah, you could go to all the different sites. And I had a friend, Rosie, who said she went there. And then, like, in the fountain where they do Do Re Mi, put her head on her... Like, her hand on her head and was, like, sings that high note do. And she said it was, like, the high note. Oh, my God. I would be so into that. I just, whenever things open up again, you and and I are going to go to Salzburg and do this tour. We should. I have to say, I think Austria is beautiful. So I went to Austria, like, God, six years ago at this point. But I only went to Vienna. And I was in love with Vienna. So I just know that Salzburg and this, like, Sound of Music tour will be the best thing. (laughs) And the other thing is that it's just, like, I don't know. Especially, it's funny because, you know, everyone has expectations for, like, what black people should like. But I actually really like mountains and hiking. I know. Don't take my card. Uh, But, like, and this movie, it's, like, porn for that stuff. Like, the opening scene is this, like, aerial shot, which I learned that they use a helicopter. And you, like, they're, like, it's almost like when you do, um, like, a Grand Canyon tour or, like, other things Mm. where the, like, the helicopter Mm. is, like, going into the grooves and going around. You see the water. You see see the lake you see like the Salzburg area aerial view and then you see like the mountains it's amazing and then it opens yeah. as Misan was saying with Maria with her arm stretched it's like the most outstretched the most iconic thing like turn it yeah. around and then as she's like singing like oh that you know I, my heart wants to laugh like the brook as it trips and falls over you know stones on its way and then there's like a little brook at, which apparently was man-made oh, but whatever <laughs> and so ah, that's, don't spoil and fantasy so, nana <laughs> and so it's just it like you're seeing everything she's thinking about and the point is that you're supposed to fall in love with this piece of land but mm. i would argue austrian lands because 
like it, they never mm. really say it explicitly but maria like says her home and her heart and everything is in these hills and you get the sense that she and captain von trapp work because she has like a deep love of her land austria mm. right that's what i do that's how i interpret it anyway because the, the way she yeah. talks about her surroundings she's so in touch with it um mm. and so i think another important part of the setting is to get the historical context I wanted, ah. honestly, to give you guys maybe like a eight-minute rundown of more than a thousand years of European history. I don't know if that's possible, <laughs> so I'm at least going to start with ambitious. The- <laughs> 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 but I'll just start with like the basic. This takes place in 1938, after the not- rise of the Nazis in Germany, which I think happened like early, like late 20s early 30s right i think 33 or something don't quote me is when hitler took over as chancellor uh but yeah i think that's right yeah yeah and so captain von trapp had been a hero in the first world war and so they wanted him for the third reich this is going to bring us to like what i think is an interesting discussion of sound music and i think it's just it's worth addressing this because it's like one of the meteor like topics around the movie, which is there's a lot of criticism, and I think some of it is fair, uh, about how the movie dis- deals with Nazis, but, like, doesn't really talk about Nazism, right? <laughs> like, what they're doing mm, to people. Mm. There's no Holocaust. There's, like, nothing. And uh, and so mm. some people have said, like, this is kind of like a whitewashing of, like, what was happening at the time, which mm. I don't want to, you know, sort of disregard that point of view because Misan, you probably understand we're both black people in America. So yeah, we understand right. how infuriating and dangerous denial is, right? So, yes, yes, yes. So, we, so, yeah. We're not about it. We're not about it at all. <laughs> we're not about it. And I understand the fear of like Holocaust denial. And so you don't want like the, you know, your pop culture to like kind of gloss over that sort of thing, you know? Mm. When people deny atrocities, you're doomed to repeat them. I get it. Um, And so this is more just to explain what I think the movie's doing rather than justify. Uh, Mm. When it comes to Nazism, I think there were basically three central preoccupations. Okay. And sorry, I'm getting like my little like history BA hat on because that's what a a bitch does. So, okay, real quick. Nazism, three central views. One is racial purity, and that's how we see we see that oftentimes manifest. This is how we see it manifested with like extermination of people, like scapegoating Jewish people, extermination of Jewish people, Romani, homosexuals, and other minorities. Right? This idea that there's Mm. a pure race, like what, Mm. like Aryans, which doesn't even make sense because the Aryans were from the Caucasus Mountains and went to India. But whatever. Yeah. Okay. So there's At, that. Like, logic, it's, logic, and your racism. Forget <laughs> it. Forget it. Yeah. And so a, a lot of like you know that's what we see a lot of the Holocaust stuff, right? But what race do they want to keep pure? German race, mm-hmm. right? And so the the second central question is the question of Germanness, right? And this is like we they the Nazis wanted to unite all Germanic German speaking people under the umbrella mm-hmm. and the eight. Uh, like the ages of the Nazi, what they saw as the Third Reich, the third sort of Germanic empire. Okay, so that is what this movie is preoccupied with. And then just to kind of give you what I think is the third sort of leg of the chair is uh, territorial expansionism, right? And so that's why they were marching through Europe trying to take over the land. 
One thing I will say is we often see territorial expansionism connected to ideologies of racial superiority, okay? Uh, so, like, basically, uh, when they wanted to unite all the German people, they were, like, looking at Austria, which at that point was, like, a, you know, a land of Germanic people, and saying, you need to come with us, you need to be a part of us, and that's the Anschluss. And there were some Austrians resist that resisted, but Germany essentially took it by force. And so that's like what is mm. going on in the background of The Sound of Music. Um, Captain Von Trapp is one of these people who sees his Austrian identity as unique and separate. And I, you know, I don't know if he necessarily, mm. he might see himself as Germanic, but he believes that there, ne there needed to be a sep integrity of like the Austrian identity. Um, the Nazis didn't think so, and so took that lands, you know, so, um, and, you know, yeah. kind of annexed Austria to the, um, the rest of Germany. Um, so that's, so that's the what short the is called. That's what the Anschluss is called, right? The, the yeah, the Anschluss. Yeah, it's essentially the annexation. Okay, so basically, that's like what we're dealing with. I understand that, like, yeah, it would have been better, I think, you know, the movie could have done more. And in fact, the original director, William Wyler, wanted to deal with like the Holocaust and all the mm -hmm. atrocities. And mm -hmm. he's like, he was a great director. He did a lot of really good social dramas. But eventually he went and worked on another movie where he could do that kind of stuff. And then they got Robert Weiss, who is like musical theater guy. He's the guy who did uh, West Side Story. And so he's going to yeah. just want love and songs and like very loose allusions to nazis <laughs> like he's not he's not gonna go for the meaty stuff and so that's what we see here um they just focus on the intra-german fight yeah all right well now nana's giving us the historical context another thing that we should really talk about is the script um for all of its like like cheesiness and like the sort of the saccharine nature that it got accused by by those like critics that were just total haters um i think the script is like actually pretty funny and witty like there's like it's like acerbic from um, sort of like wit coming from certain characters. There's like banter. It's like snarky. It's actually just like there are just parts where I just like was laughing out loud. Like, oh, no, that's funny. Mm -hmm. Especially for like the line delivery from the Baroness and Uncle Max, you know, the concert promoter who wants to like start making a quick buck. Um, and even for yeah. the kids Can we as well. Say, uh, they were, they can were we funny. Can we just say that uncle max is so clearly like the gay best friends it's like the co like oh, coded yes, he's so yes. like queer coded i know <laughs> i mean as much as you can in 1965 like for people to so, so it's like sort of like enough where it's like oh no he's just the uncle that likes music but for yeah, everybody else yeah. like yeah no we know what's going on <laughs> we see that <laughs> oh my gosh uh, but yeah, like you're saying, even the kids are funny. Maria, Julia Andrews has, like, because she's playing this, like, wide-eyed sort of ingenue, it's really challenging to be funny. And she, I think she's hilarious. She's got, like, great comedic so timing funny. and, like, really mm -hmm. good physical comedy chops. And, and then she can sing her ass off. Like, I was into it. Yeah. No, she makes the movie for me, uh, for sure. And we'll get into that a little bit, like, a bit more, like, shortly. Uh, so yeah, the script is great. And then the music. I mean, we have to talk about the music. So what's your favorite song on for I mean, you did a whole choral performance in fourth grade. So I know you have opinions about which the song which songs are the best and which ones are not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, so this is gonna sound real basic. I just think that like, Do Re Mi is amazing, especially like in the movie, because it's like this eight minute, like, montage, essentially. Um, 
and it's yeah I love it I love it because yeah like it, and it, it's just it has so many different movements within it and then there's a part where they go like when you know that well first they go like do so la fa re do re and then they you know it's just so much is happening in that um and then it builds it just builds I love it I know I know. And I, I feel, what I really like about the that sort of eight minute sort of scene where they're filming, it's where like they, you see them exploring different parts of Salzburg as well. Mm-hmm. So you get to sort of, it's just, it's like um, one of the few moments that they're outside of like sort of like the house setting. Um, and it's just great to see them. It's, and it's when you see uh, how the relationship between the Von Trapp children and Maria has gotten even closer and they like trust yeah. her a lot more and they're like getting to express themselves. Uh, I think it's funny. Um, when they're like hanging out, they're, they climb the trees and they're super excited. And then yeah. uh, Captain Von Trapp and the Baroness and Uncle Max are in a car driving by and then they're waving. Um, and the Baroness is like, what's that? And the captain's like, oh yeah, just some street urchins who <laughs> <laughs> are his children. <laughs> and he knows, those, and he like, you kind of feel that he knows that those are probably his kids, but he's like, it couldn't be. Not when I told the bear, the governess what to do. Yeah. Wait, can I also, just, like, I how just, it- just a note. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go. You go ahead. Just to know what. I just want to know that uh, Maria is their 12th governess. They're not 5th, mm-hmm. 6th, 12th. I thought that was a shocking factoid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I I think that, yeah, that entire sequence just works. Um, but there are a lot of really good songs. Like, I don't know. Do you have a favorite or? I think my favorite. So it's probably two. Um favorite is favorite things just because it's like that's a great one just the like raindrops on yeah raindrops on roses whiskers on kittens you know mittens all that sort of i just i love it and it's the first um it's the sort of the first uh time where you see the kids like like sort of their ice and reserve towards maria's thawing because there's a thunderstorm yeah and they all come and hang in her bed um and so just being able to have them like connect with her that way i think so they're like oh this is a this clearly she's someone that they can trust and can be a source of like security and comfort for them early on so i really love that and also i love um maria like how do you solve a problem like maria like how really do you, like, i do i love that song you know why oh, i love it because first they sing it when they're like upset with her right and trying to say yeah come and be a nun but then i just think it's really hilarious that they're singing it as she walks down the I, yeah aisle. i know they, they solved the problem they went her off they to did. a man they, just, they married her off to a widower with seven children oh <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, i okay so i'll just say i i'm gonna cheat and say there are a couple real other really prime songs which is so long farewell i think yes. is amazing of course of course uh, and then lonely goat herd i think is a revelation. <laughs> a revelation. <laughs> you know, Julie tries to do her little yodeling, and it, and it's just yeah. fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Do you I have any like least we favorite have to songs? Talk about the sound. Um. Well, before I talk about my least favorite song, I think we have to talk about the sound of music. Oh yeah. Although I have to say, I don't know. Like. It's not my favorite. Like, it's not, like, up there for me. Like, I, I, I mean, aside from the fact that we get to see her, um, like, with her, her, like, her arms, like, outstretched, like, you know, like, twirling along, you know, in the mountains with the Alps in the back. But it do- it's not, like, it's not the one that does it for me. You know, I will say I agree with you in the opening. 
I love when they sing it, the children, and then Captain Von Trapp comes in. He goes, I look to the hills when my heart yeah. is lonely. That, that is, is like, that yeah. makes, that yeah. you know, like when he just comes in and he starts singing. Because that's like such like a yeah. big shift in his character. And it's like, yeah. So true. And it's sexy as hell, that's too. True. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's Christopher Plummer in the sound of music. He was just sexy. Though, though he doesn't he do his own, he doesn't do his singing. It's dubbed. Yeah, to be, yeah, it's so funny you said that because I wanted to, I was about to mention that his, like, so the singing was dubbed over by, like, you know, someone else is doing the singing. But, you know, I think they did a good job dubbing, continued to 1965. Mm-hmm. It worked mm-hmm. out pretty well. Well, we got to talk about uh, Captain Von Trapp. What a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. <laughs> yes, <I did. laughs> Oh my god. Not if you start rapping that part of the song, I am going to leave. <laughs> I love that I love that song so much. <laughs> a body I mean, like Autumn with a dead zill face. Oh, oh I told you not so to rap. <laughs> seriously I like Captain Von Trapp Christopher Plummer it was one of the first I I think as a young kid watching I don't know that I could understand what I was feeling but I was like who Mm -hmm. I just was I was in love in love like one of my first crushes on screen for sure everything about like I don't even know like everything about just his presence was incredible yeah a a couple things I think because I think as a kid I didn't have a sexual awakening with Christopher Plummer. I just kind of watched the movie. What it did do for mm. me is set a lifetime fantasy of meeting a handsome widower and charming his children and then marrying him. Like, it, I, that is seven like one children, of my. Seven not seven, children? but like, I okay. love that trope. Like, the show The Nanny. I feel like some Hallmark movies have done this. Like, this, I've yes. always wanted this to happen for me. And in fact, I was a babysitter and a nanny, and I was like, oh my gosh, is this going to happen? And it was like, obviously, all married, slovenly, boring dudes. And so I never got that fantasy. But I think up. it's so, it's right. I know, it's like, it's just, it was always been my dream. Because you get the, you get him through his children, and then you love everybody, you know? <laughs> um, so that's like, I don't know. But then when I told you, it's like when I rewatched it with my roommate, Christopher, Pl- I just like, like, he cracks and sizzles in every scene. I can't even, like, mm. you can't see me right now, but I'm just like rubbing my temples because I'm trying to like suss out all these feelings I'm having right now as I say this. I know. She's, her face like, is starting to feel flush. I can tell. Yeah. She's, like, yeah, she's having a moment. I, <laughs> I can't tell if they like wanted this for the movie because he brings this X-rated energy to the movie that shouldn't be there. Mm. You, you know? Mm. Like the way he looks at Maria and he has that crooked mouth like you know Milo Ventimiglia has which kind of does yes. so <laughs> That's one of those mouths. He has these piercing blue eyes. And then he does this thing where he's constantly fiddling his fingers. You know, he's just always constantly fiddling around with his hand. And I don't want to be inappropriate, but your mind goes to like, oh, what's he doing with those fingers? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> You're just like, what oh is God, I what think do you I want? need to find a new friend. I don't I'm, just, I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> I mean, there are times they give him a riding strap. 
they give him a riding strap at some point. And he's, and he's like stroking that freaking like riding crop or something, yeah. like whatever it is, like constant. I'm like, and he's like a disciplinarian in the movie, yeah. so it's like very stern. So I'm like, I don't like what feelings are you trying to evoke for adult women that watch this? Because it was, it's there's a lot happening. Unreal. He's too sexy for a PG he's movie. Too sexy. He's so sexy. He's too sexy. He's constantly smirking. There's like a hardcore mm. dom energy, but then there's like softness yes. to it at times. You know where he, you know, and. Like, there, there are moments where he, like, realizes he's falling in love with Maria, that he really softens. And, you know, we all want that, like, to, like, mm-hmm. and I don't know. It, and he's just always looking at her. Like, he sees something that's there. And not in a lovey-dovey way, but always, like, in a, oh, I'm figuring out the what's going on here. You know, it's like, you're like a puzzle, and yeah. I think I've got you figured out. Yeah. And it's hot. And I just want to say to the future love of my life out there, like, there will come a time, and I'm only going to trust you with this, that I will hand, hand you a whistle, and I will be wearing, like, a po- <laughs> I will be wearing, like, a postulate costume of some sort, and we are going to go what wild. What is a postulate costume? <laughs> Not a, tell me what a posture costume is right I now. don't know. It's like, like, it looks kind of like a nun costume, but not a full-on nun costume. So there's like no wimple? There's maybe not a wimple. I think that's what it is. There's no wimple. There's no and, wimple. And I'm going to just say, here's the whistle. And we will both have just like a wonderful time. And we can thank, silently thank Christopher Plummer for that. You know? So just, I'm putting that message out into the world. A wonderful time. Like three simple words that say so much. He is so sexy. It's like, I I am almost like angry at it. Because I'm like, you shouldn't have done this to us. No. You shouldn't have put this man in this movie. I shouldn't be like, like, Misan... It doesn't make sense for the movie that it's in. It, it doesn't make, make sense. sense. Doesn't. And like, m- my parents, fortunately, were out of town when I was watching this. So I was like, really loud. I was singing. I was doing everything while I was watching this. Laughing. And every time he would do his like, Captain Von Trapp thing, I would just like, throw back my head and scream. And like the middle of the living room. I was like, ah, it's too much. Stop it. Oh my God. Stop I'm it. so glad your parents were not <laughs> for that. Too damn much. The man is I, too damn sexy. It does make sense. And so that's the thing. So like you buy Maria and um, the captain's like romance because like even when they first meet, it's like. They're, it's not even like a meet cute. Like they go and meet and they snark at each other immediately. Like yeah. he calls her dress ugly. To be fair, it was it was ugly. Um, he's like, so you. Oh my god, that's one of the fun. The, like one of the funnier lines I think during the movie where it's like, oh, he's like, oh, so that's what you're wearing to meet them. And she said, well, I gave up all my worldly goods, you know, before when I entered yeah. the Abbey. <laughs> and he said, oh, the poor didn't want that dress. <laughs> Oh, no, he's, he was like, like no, oh, what about that one? It. And I think she's like, I guess they didn't want it or something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it goes. <laughs> it's so, so good. Like, it's, when they meet, they butt heads. like, immediately. And it's it's interesting because she's not deferential to him in the way that I think he's used to. And so yeah. you can immediately see, like Mana said about that, trying to figure out her out as a puzzle because he's saying that he's going to, like, he whistles for his kids, and every kid has a, a whistle sound, right? Oh, this Specific is good. Sound. And he's, and then he was like, "Oh, like 
this will be yours. And she's like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to respond to a whistle. I'm not like an animal. I'm not a dog. Yeah. Those are who, those are who respond. And then he's like walking off and then she whistles. She's like, oh, well, what's yeah, your so good. And he's like, call me captain, which is really more of that Dom energy than not. I know. I was like, I will call you whatever you want. Okay. Whatever you say, sir. As long as you and bring then- that, like, and if you want to have the writing crop, make sure to like really emphasize the message you're sending. And stroke yes. it. That's <laughs> it's too much. Like, why did they do this to us? And then he's like, "Can you say about the, there was like the other funny scene where he she gets flustered? They're like going back and forth and yelling. It's, oh, it's so good. Yes. Oh my god. Wait, I'm blank. Wait, no, you say it. I'm blanking on it. So is it it's is like with the Baroness or another part, another one? The one where he calls her captain. Like, they're going back and... Oh, yeah. yes! Oh, my God. Okay, Tia, I love this part. All right, so this is right after they've, like, you know... Uh, he sees that his the street urchins were indeed his children. They're all, like, dripping wet or whatever. And so then they're going back and forth with each other. And she's like, these children need time and space to play. And is Maria overstepping her boundaries as an employee of the captain? Certainly she is, but she's not wrong. Uh, so she's, yeah. like, going back and forth. But he gets so flustered that he says all right that'll be something captain and then you can see like you can tell he's never a person that ever gets flustered the fact yeah. that she's able to sort of like get him so discomfited is something that like shocks him but you can also see that he's like like you sort of intrigued. see like he's falling more intrigued yeah. <laughs> with her and he's like you can see like the love sort of like create and it's not anything that's like overt or obvious but if you look at it closer and pay more attention you can see that they really are like um, they should they're like oil and water so you think they shouldn't be a match but they fit it's what they both need yeah. from each other it's just so like it's just great I love I just like I, and another thing that I, I no actually go ahead Nana oh I was just gonna say I think what works about this for me is that it kind of subverts expectations so one is like mm-hmm. Maria's like this like ingenue she's like this Catholic you know she's constantly praying about like God show me what I'm supposed to do and I'm gonna be a nun and yeah mm-hmm. and so you would think that she would be so deferential to this guy like you said or he'd back down mm-hmm. but she just gives it as good as she gets it and like nobody yeah. would for him you know and so you would see the baroness and you would think that that's more of sort of a formidable match for him but not at all it's really maria that's constantly challenging him and so i yeah. like that a lot and then the other thing is like ah i don't know it's just they just have this chemistry that like really crackles you know what i mean for like mm. for, for just for the beginning of the end and and like unlike a lot of musicals i find that are, are a little bit quick to jump to the get falling in love they do a lot of this like yes. at first sight or you know this yes. builds yes. like this is like the most satisfying i think lo- like romantic build i think i have seen in a musical and i've seen a lot of effing musicals like because it's like yeah. over like an hour or something and so by the time they get together it's like I, at least for me, and they sing that song, you know, it's like, I must have, what is it? Perhaps I had a wicked childhood. I must have done some, some, something yeah. good. Yeah, something yeah. good to, for this it's, to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's not like a song, because oftentimes in musicals, when they have the, the two people falling in love, it's a very sort of, it's a bang, right? It's a big song. It's a mm. big number. It's like, you know, it's actually very similar to when Liesl and Rolf are dancing, and like they're doing all these dances and stuff in the gazebo um, 16 going on 17 that's their love song and I think oftentimes musicals do that when people fall in love this is just mm. like a quiet sort of like 
sigh. It's like, hmm, you know? <laughs> it's like, and it just feels like we all, all of us who had been so tight during, like, I, I should, tight is the wrong word, sorry. <laughs> all of us who had been so... <laughs> agitated because there's something really tense yeah. about their dynamic when they finally get together it's like you could just breathe and exhale this sigh of relief and the song it's captures like a that worthy payoff yeah. yeah and can we talk about like when and we're, we'll talk about the baroness a little bit because both not okay. thoughts about the baroness that are divergent probably um but like just when they like like nana says when they like confess their love to each other with that song it's filmed in silhouette and there are parts mm-hmm. of it that just were sexier than it had any right to oh, much gosh. like this movie yes. and Christopher Plummer. Because they like are they like kiss, right? But then there's this like part where like there he's like rubbing her face with his face and he's like kissing her her forehead. And usually, you know, sort of a lot as we have known in our experience, sometimes the forehead touch like is not necessarily sexy. It's just sort of like mm-hmm. comforting or like a sign of like a deeper connection or it can be. But he makes it so sexy. It sort of feels like this, there's still sexual tension, even as they've, like, come together and shown that they're yeah. in love, they're in love, and they kiss each other. It just sort of, like, it points to sort of, like, a deeper um, connection with them that you would have expected. And for it to, like, hint at, the, like, the sexuality of it, for me, yes. from a movie that's, yes. like, this, like, cheesy yes. musical, is not what you would expect at all. Not at all. At all. Like, you sort of have, the, you sort of, like, oh, no, you guys probably have a great sex life. Just from that. Yeah. You, like, totally. you have great sex. Just from that. When they come back from their honeymoon, you're like, they were pumping like bunnies every day and night for like that entire time. Yeah, night. like you, you just get yeah, that no, sense. You guys, you, yeah, like a lot. A lot. They like, were gone for like, dude. what, it was a month, right? I was like, no, you for yeah. sure. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. I just remember, it just was fast. And the fact that it was filmed like in silhouette, I mean, the, it, it, it just, it made it seem more sort of like poignant, right? And like, yeah. even, it just felt even more powerful um, because of that. Sh- uh, so I, all right, so should we, can we talk about the Baroness just a little bit? Because, so you mm-hmm. talked a bit before about how you would think that the Baroness, this like wealthy socialite would be more like um, Captain Formid- Von Trapp's oh. match. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like she's formidable. Like, you know, she's like, she seems to have the same sort of energy that he has, right? And she's, yeah. you know, like I said, she like, you know, slinks onto the scene. Um, yeah. She's sexy as hell. Let's just be clothing. real. She's yeah. very sexy. She's very sexy. Yeah. Um, her clothes are impeccable. Um, like mm. you, it's like look after look I want, after look. Look after look after look. And we're going to actually put together a lookbook or something of the Baroness because I think it yeah. needs to be done. Yeah. And we're putting it on our Instagram, which as we we didn't talk about at the top of the episode, but you should follow. Um, we put yeah. a link to it in our show notes. But follow our Instagram account. Um, yeah. And so she and her hair. Everything about her is just like, it's like, like a movie that that we say is like, you know, just sort of like for kids and the family, like she's just like pure sex appeal, hot and right there. And meanwhile, there's Maria and like her dumpy, her dumpy clothes, who's like making and she hurt like, you know, just dumpy. Like she's not sophisticated. She's very much like, you know, come from the Abbey and doesn't know anything about the world, really. She can make her own clothes. She's sewing clothes for, clothes, God, English. She's sewing clothes (laughs) for her charges. 
from curtains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like actual drapes. And then this Baroness with so much money. So she's like the 1930s version of a bad bitch is what I guess we could call her. Yeah. Um, yeah. She is. She is. Yeah. I'm not going to, like, here's the thing. I'm not going to say, it's not going to exactly be like Mrs. Bennett where I say justice for the Baroness because she did some effed up mm. stuff, you know? She, like, manipulated Warm. Maria so that Maria would leave because she saw that her man was interested in Maria. But every step mm-hmm. of the way, she had the best witticisms about it. You know, it's not her lines. Her lines I mean, are so- I know. I <laughs> she, will say the way she dropped so those many lines, good snarky like, comments. I have to give it so to many her. Good, her snark like, was impeccable. Like so, Misa, I'm gonna tell you. Like, I, I mean, I can't even count all the. Like, I'm just gonna do a couple. One scene I love is when the kids like they we discover they learn they can sing. Like all of a sudden, there's like back to back musical numbers. So like they're like, now the kids are going to perform another song for you. And then she kind of leans over to Max and is like. Oh, why didn't you tell me, Max? What? That I should have brought a harmonica. <laughs> Bitch, I would have said the same thing. Like, do I have to watch these kids sing for the next, like, week? <laughs> it's like, and then the best slide is when, um, there are a couple, but, like, the best is when, she, uh, so Captain Von Trapp and Maria do this, like, Austrian folk dance called, like, the Londler mm. or something, which got me really mm-hmm. flushed and heated. Because um, yeah, it it's, really it's, it, it sizzles. Hot. And then at the end of the yeah. dance, it's just funny because the little girl, the kids know what's going on, and they make it very clear that they do. So at some point, the little girl's like, Maria, you're all red. And she's like, what? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not red. Me, red, no. And, and then the Baroness comes out and she sees them. And, you know, she's not a woman. It's like kind of like, uh, you know, the Beyonce line. It's like, I don't want to lose my pride, but I'm going to fuck me up a bitch. Like, I feel like she like gives me <laughs> a little yeah, bit of that. that energy. Yeah. yeah. And energy. So, but she's not going to fuck her up a bitch like fighting. She's going to like do some tactical yeah. psychological warfare. And so she comes and sees mm. them, and she doesn't react. Like, you know, she doesn't get angry. She's just like, hey, Georg, you know. I Look, this whole time you were worried you wouldn't find anybody to talk to at the party. And he's like, oh. You know, she's she's it's like oozing with sort of like acid. And he's like, oh, mm-hmm. it's a bit chilly in here, isn't it? And she's like, looks plenty warm to me. And it's like. <laughs> she's like, yeah, you seem pretty warm. I don't know. You seem pretty warm to me. And so she's I was like, Baroness von Schrader. Oh, my God. And so it's line after line after line. And she, of course, because she has like a gay best friend, Max, the two of them are just kind of going back and forth um and so yeah i love her like i don't think she's a great person but she is everything i aspire to be and so (laughs) so she just was gonna be like i i think for her i i i I, it's so interesting like until i watched the movie again like um a few months ago I remember thinking, oh, justice for Baroness Von Schrader. Like, she just wanted to get married, blah, blah, blah. I didn't realize, like, the full manipulations that she had gone oh, yeah. into. And I and I have, like, I sort of, I empathize, I suppose, with, like, sort of the position she's in. She's a widow. She's wealthy. She needs security, you know, like, should to be married to someone that she can, like, like, she says in her like, someone that she can control and that really needs her. Um, and but she doesn't need to, to be married. Person. That's the thing. Yeah, I guess that's true. Because she has money. She, she has doesn't. money. She has yeah. a lot of money. So why did she want to marry uh, She Captain loved Von him. 
She loved him. Oh. <laughs> That's the thing. Oh. And so you have to sympathize with a woman. Like, Misan, if I was, like, as beautiful as this woman, impeccably dressed, it's implied that she's, Gorgeous. like, the Gorgeous. toast of Vienna. Like, everybody loves her because yeah. she's so funny. She's, like, the Dorothy Parker of, like, 1930s Vienna. Everybody thinks she's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you mm-hmm. have this guy that you've sounds like you've been dating for on and off for, like, years, right? It's been going on for a while. Yeah. And you lose yeah. him to a nun in a dumpy frock. Yeah. What woman would take that well? <laughs> Like, if it were nowadays, she'd be all over this woman's Instagram being like, oh, my God, I cannot believe she wore this, like, like burlap sack. And- I know. Oh, my God. She would have multiple finstas. She would have, yeah. first of all, she would create a bot army, multiple finstas that would just, like, basically, like, swarm Maria's Instagram comments. Maria would be, like, getting bullied and just have to shut it down, um, for sure. I know. I, yeah. You know, I understand. But she, like, she just, she loved the man, but she'd, like, the... I think what was difficult for her to relate to was like what came with him. Seven, yeah, not one, totally. not two, not three, not four, seven. not five, not seven children. Yeah, seven. Yeah. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot. And I and I just think like a lot of people, you know, with love, you fall in love with someone, and then sadly, love just isn't enough. Well, also the other person should probably love you as much as you love them. But also, like their lifestyles just weren't compatible at all. Totally, they just were not. Um, and. So the it made sense. Very last, that's, yeah, that's how it played out. The last thing I do want to say about th- that love triangle is, I have like there's a very much like a like a pole dark effect. Did you ever watch Pole Dark? Where it's like there's I have and I keep wanting uh, to. Okay, it's like not that important, but it's basically this guy was like in love with a woman, but ends up marrying another woman. But it's like the woman he marries is so, clearly so much more appropriate for like who he is in terms of like his lifestyle, his values. And you see that here. Like if Maria, like I cannot imagine Baris, Baroness von, uh, von Schrader like pushing that car with them or crossing the Alps with them yes. or doing any. Yes. She, ba- yes. she was not political at all. She didn't care about this Austrian versus no. German identity. And so not he. Not a bit. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it all worked out for the best. Like, he needed to be with someone like Maria. He did. Yeah, no, I it, it really, I, I, I do wonder who Baroness Von Schrader ended up be, um, falling in love with. I hope she found love. We all found, deserve love. Oh, she is she's doing like, her, like, manipulative whatever thing. I think she found, like, a boy toy. Like, I feel like she's, like, kind of like a Donatella Versace she a with, like, all these, like, handsome ah. men just <laughs> Yes, that's yes. what I that's see. Perfect, like that's exactly what. Yeah, I see that too. Honestly, <laughs> last thing to talk about the Maria Captain Love story because, like we said, it's like this like fantastic slow burn done right in a movie um, that usually would be impatient for them to get together, but like Nana says, it's like just like this like nice breath of fresh air by the end. Like you like sigh like excitedly when it happens. The wedding. First mm. of all, her dress was incredible. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. Um, I would have liked a little I more remember... adornment on the hair, though. That's my only thing. I know. Like, oh, she had that ringlet, like, sort of that, like, circlet of flowers and then yeah. the veil. There could have been a lot. She could, they could have given her a tiara, I suppose. That yeah. Been, you know, yeah, totally. Better. I would have all been all over that. Um, but I just remember watching the way I was like, first of all, who are all these people that they know? <laughs> there were, that was a huge wedding. <laughs> that was a lot of people. <laughs> Well, it's all the people who were at people. Captain Von Trapp's ball. He has, like, he knows a lot of people. I know. To be fair, like you get the sense that he was like very much like um, 
a highly regarded, like, high, like, ranking member of the aristocracy or, like, sort of what stood for the, like, what made up the aristocracy at the time in Salzburg society. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I guess everybody would be interested. I do wonder about the gossip with that. Like, can you imagine sort of, like, the, oh, yes. like, the gossip blogs? Like, what people were saying catily about Baroness von Trader Dude, being thrown yes. over for a, a nun yes. in dumpy clothes. Yes. Oh, my God. It's not it even the blogs. Better. Remember their, like, gossipy maid, Frau Schmidt, who I love? Oh, my God. <laughs> She's, what love is she saying? <laughs> what the is she best. saying? <laughs> She's, like, definitely has Something that snarky. I'm not one to gossip, so you didn't hear it from me kind of vibe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, I just you know what I just remember. I just remember the butler. Um, it's like yeah. every character was like um, he's a Nazi like, though the butler was a Nazi yeah yeah because Rolf was like had you know is everything set with him or whatever he was conspiring with the Nazis he even has a Nazi face you, he could tell he's a Nazi just by looking at him <laughs> oh not Nazi face <laughs> oh my god not Nazi face <laughs> Like, as soon as he gets on the screen, okay. I'm like, oh, yeah, that guy's a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'm just, I wonder what the butler said after, you know, the Von Trapp family made their escape in the Alps. So now that we sort of, like, I mean, poked a little bit of the bubbles of, <laughs> of the love story and the awesomeness that is uh, The Sound of Music... Um, I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed talking about it. Nana, is there anything else we should add before we uh, wrap up? I don't think so. I mean, there's just like too much to talk about for this, so we can just go on forever. But um, yeah, yeah, it's good. The, it was light on the Nazis, but you know what? When I watch my musicals, I'm okay with that. <laughs> so. Yeah, I don't really want to watch musicals for Nazis. Like, just, yeah. I mean, I think enough of, you know, the captain, like, ripping the Nazi, like, flag or whatever is, yeah. you know, that, that's the extent that I really need, you know, because Nazis Plus, we see them enough in our, like, real day-to-day lives these days, so. Yeah, like, they're, like, trying to make a comeback. And yeah, so. <laughs> I want I want to escape that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, we're good. Um, but yeah, it's 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 phenomenal. I love it. A plus plus yeah. plus. Yes, would definitely watch again. All three hours, worth it, worth it. Yeah, forever worth it. Um, okay. Want to talk about our HEA? Yeah. Um, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? Um, I can start. So my HEA is a recently released book called Just Last Night by Mahari McFarlane. Um, it came Vari, out- Vari, Vari McFarlane. Is it Mahari? Is it no, Mahari? it's Vari, V with a V. She pronounces it. She's it's like Vari? Scottish. Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. Wow, you've like blown my mind. Yeah, it's Vari. Uh, she like, so if, Va- if you follow her or something, she like writes it out phonetically how you say her name or on her website or something. Yeah, no, you're right. It is Vari, although it can be... Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, let's say Vari. Vari sounds more fun. Uh, so Vari McFarlane, um, like here at Hell Yeah, we want to make sure we say people's names right because people do not say our names right often. So mm-hmm. we, everybody deserves that courtesy. So apologies, Var, Vari. Uh, so she wrote... So Vari is like... She's really more of like a women's fiction author rather than like strict romance novels. But her, uh, her stories tend to have like... Uh, 
a romance plot within them. And they have, yeah. you know, an HEA, which is why we yep. enjoy reading them. So Just Last Night is about a group of friends that they've been friends since they were teenagers. And they're now in like their um, early to mid 30s. Uh, and they bonded for many, many years. And then, you know, a tragic accident happens. I'm not going to give any spoilers because Nana hasn't read this book yet. Yeah. But a tragic accident happens that sort of changes the makeup and the dynamic of the group forever. There is one, uh, you know, there's like a sort of almost forbidden love story going on with the two of the members in the group. Um, and it just, what I really liked about it is sort of how it like explores friendship and loss and grief. I think in a very, um, just a very well done way. It's it's poignant. It's like you'll cry, you'll laugh when you read this book. But there's a love story there that makes so much sense. You don't see it, you know, when it initially pops up as you as it sort of makes that uh, turn and move. But she just handles it in such a such a graceful way. It felt like I was reading about real people and it, it, the way it talks about friendship and like friendships with longevity. Like as someone that has had friends since I was like has friends that I've had since I was like two years old I, I thought she really represents that or that dynamic of long-standing friendship really well and when something like changes that some sort of like tragic life event having to navigate those experiences and yeah. those feelings um it just I, I I could not put it down I stayed up to read it um the I thought that the love story within it was very satisfying and it's a book that I recommend so check it out uh just last night came out May 4th uh, by Vari McFarlane. I don't think oh, we'll I'm excited. I, I put it on hold at the library, but it's going to be a while. But I'm now kind of tempted to buy it. I've loved every... Just like, buy it. I, I read, yeah, I've read two other books by her that I really like. I think she handles pretty heavy topics in a really deft way. So she, Yeah, it's very... Like, her writing is very... Um, it's very sharp, and I think death is sort of the right way to put it. I've read all of her books now. Like, like I had to buy every single one, um, mm-hmm. and this is one of her best. This is probably one of the best of the first okay. I've read. Um, I'm excited. Sure. Okay, so Misan, you can take your pick of two of my HEAs, and you'll know them both. Okay. I'm either going to do Wanna Bet by Talia Hibbert or Beach Read by a lady whose name I just forgot. Who wrote Beach Read? Emily Henry. Emily. Oh, Emily Henry. Yeah. So which one is it? Oh, my God. That's tough. You know what? Um, I want to say Talia Hibbert, but we already did a Talia Hibbert book. So let's do Beach Read. Okay. I mean, the Talia Hibbert book is very good, but let's do Beach Read. <laughs> All right. You know what? I changed my vote. I changed my vote. I love that. I love. Okay. Actually, let's just do the two of them. Um, I loved, I loved, loved that Talia Hibbert book, Wanna Bet, though. That's a great book. Yeah, it's really so good. good. It's hot. Um, the funny thing about so the hot. book is that it's in its title is, a, it's called Wanna Bet, a dirty, I think it's a dirty interracial romance or something like that. So you're going to mm-hmm. just have to, like, let the world, if you're see like, it's on my Goodreads that I read it. I just accepted that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And like, it's like such a funny story. I have a friend who bought the book because I recommended to her, but because she had been living abroad for so long, she uses her dad's uh, Amazon. And so her like 60 something year old Chinese American dad is like, what is this dirty interracial romance I bought? (laughs) (laughs) The title's problematic. Oh, but, well, I have to say, okay, actually, just a quick note. Um, they've changed, so I just Googled it. They changed it? I'm going to buy it. 
They changed the name to the roommate risk. It's not one of them anymore. Yeah, so that makes know. so much sense. Um, but anyway, it's really good. It's like this woman um, who is a mixed race but I think she mostly does. She probably identifies as black. I don't know. This woman is best yeah. friends with this guy who's South Asian. I don't think we know exactly where from. One of his parents is Muslim. Mm-hmm. One is Hindu. Um, he comes from like a very solid background, loving home, two loving parents. She comes from a like her mother was like very negligent and maybe borderline abusive. And, like, abandoned Mm. her. And so she grew up with her father, who is, like, kind of these, like, tough London blokes. You know, he's a white dude Mm. with tattoos and a shaved head. Um, But it seems like he loves her very, very much. But she has, like, tremendous abandonment issues. And so she never Mm. wants to really fall in love or connect with people. But over the years, she has become best friends with this guy. What is made clear from the book, and this is why it works, is that both of them are, like, off-the-charts attractive people. Um, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's really what Super sells hot. it. Super people, um, for sure, but, for sure. But he's, like, been in love with her forever, and it's not clear always what her feelings are, but... They end up rooming together because some, like, disaster happens in her apartment and the sexual tension really builds to the point where they're just like, okay, we got to do this. And then they start hooking up Mm -hmm. and we see the evolution of their relationship. It's really hard to just explain why the book works. I think part of it is Talia writes great sex, as I've mentioned before. Um, But also... I think that I've never seen the the builds, the tension, especially that this guy feels because he's like loved this woman since college is so good. You know, it's just like you feel that agony mm. of just wanting something that's so close but feels so far away, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and her feelings are kind of opaque, but you also get the sense at least the way they're relationship was initiated is that she was interested in him physically and so it's not like he's a sad sack friend you know that she's always had an attraction to him at least you know so it's not like the pining friend who she doesn't notice and so i think it elevates it a little so you're not as like it's not as pathetic essentially you know um and so yeah it's really good um i don't know it's like that and beatree both have this thing that is like of like the person who is kind of best friends falling in love or enemy, whatever it is. It's like the idea that someone who's very close in your vicinity has like secretly loved you forever. Yes. And yes. that is like my dream. Like this is like, as someone who was not asked out a lot, this was like the only way I could feel like there was a possibility for me was that everybody just was secretly in love like with me. I secretly pining. <laughs> yeah, like they're secretly <laughs> pining for you for years and they just have never yeah. been able to say anything. That's- and they, now was... suddenly they have they have to say it before they explode. Yeah, that's the only natural sort of explanation I could come up with. And so I diagnosed myself as being an erotomaniac for a long time, which means someone who thinks everybody's in love with them. And, you know, I've, I've grown past that. Uh... <laughs> I'm self-corrected and I think I'm okay now. But, yeah, it's like my favorite plot. It's like I just feel it. I love that plot so much. <laughs> Uh, you guys, there have been multiple times this episode where I've said, my friend Nana, why? (laughs) 
I'm just honest. I'm really honest. With I know. This honestly, not that's it's my phrase. I, this is a safe space. It really it is. Like we, we have to be able to say all about what we feel. I mean, if I honestly, I will say, if there are people that are secretly in love with me and Nana and have been waiting for years to tell us, I gotta tell. I think 2021 is the year. Twenty twenty one. Looks like make that confession. Like, why not? Like, people are getting vaccines. This pandemic yeah. is not over yet, contrary to popular belief. So just, like, you know, just, like, rip the bandit off. Just do it. Yeah. We're here and yeah. we're listening. So reach out. Yeah. So, yeah, just send me, like, a voice message or whatever about how much you've been pining after me. Like, and make it super we'll chill. Like, don't make it awkward. But, like, you know, like, just I, just, I think you should just go for it. Just go for it. Yeah. And there might be a whistle and a wide riding strop in your future. So we'll see. <laughs> But not the dumpy clothing and not, not the dresses t- made from drapes in your room. Don't, don't, well, okay, if it's your thing, we could do fantasy. We could do it a little. <laughs> I can wear my postulate. Costume. All right, guys. <laughs> okay. Everybody so long. Been... Farewell. Okay. Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Adieu. Goodbye. Adieu to me, to you, and you, and, and you, you, and you. <laughs> And you. You guys, this has been Hell Yeah. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we have enjoyed making it. And we'll talk to you guys soon. See you in two weeks. Bye. Bye.